Next Chapter Podcast. The 500. The 500. J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition, so it ain't nothing to new. Hundreds more to go and in need of a friend. The king of peace for Angelo. Talking the 500 until the end. Talking the 500 until the end. With my man J.M. On the 500. Talking the 500 until the end. You gotta rise above. I wanna break through the fucking wall when I listen to this song. God damn. God damn. I'm angry. I wanna fight people. The song is Rise Above. It's by Black Flag from their 1981 album Damage. It's number 340 out of 500 on the 500 with me. What's up, everybody? Uh, Fleece Army. How you doing? Fleece Army. I'm going on the road in December. December 9th through the 12th, I will be at the Edmonton House of Comedy in Edmonton, Canada. Can't wait to go there. Big mall. Uh, December 16th through the 19th, I will be at the St. Louis Funny Bone. I don't know if it's a St. Louis one, but it's in St. Louis and it's a Funny Bone. And December 30th through the 1st, I will be at the Vancouver House of Comedy in Canada. I'm gonna be in Canada a lot. Oh, and December 20th, I'm doing a goddamn comedy jam at the Comedy Cellar in New York City. You can get tickets at ComedyCellar.com or you can stream it at home at MintComedy.com. Watch it, come to it, whatever you gotta do. And you can get tickets to all those shows at my website, JoshAdamMyers.com. Also, I'm at the Comedy Cellar almost every night of the week. Come, be a part of my life. Join our Patreon, patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. We appreciate everybody that's a member. For $5 or more a month, you get to be on the podcast. You get to comment on each album. We read your questions and your thoughts to our guests. So go, if you already are a member, go to Patreon, uh, our Patreon, and, and there should be something up there that says the album, comment what your thoughts are. We will read it. And we only read... The Patreon first. You can comment on the Twitter. You can comment on other stuff. But Patreon gets first dibs. We're only going to read a few of them. All right. Black flag. Oof. Those symbols are nasty. They're scary. But you know who's not? My guest. My guest today. Another dude from the state. Michael Ian Black. This was a fun one. Michael is a legend in the comedy world. Wet Hot American Summer. Inside Amy Schumer, Reno 911, The State, Stella. He has a podcast called Obscure with Michael Ian Black. I think he even has a snack podcast because he was eating snacks at the beginning of this. I knew this was going to be fun right from the jump. I got a good laugh out of him. He was fun. He was great. He was knowledgeable. And he was our guest. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on all platforms. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Go to my website, joshadammyers.com for all tickets. 
Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group run by Crazy Evan. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. All right. You guys ready for this? Here we go with episode 340 out of 500 with Damaged by Black Flag. Rise above, you got a scoogadoo. a podcast baby let's just roll it, this is a podcast this this is actually a congressional testimony bro this <laughs> oh, is fuck. this is all on the record fauci come on out here dude jesus <laughs> that's so unexpected so do you remember do you no. remember meeting me at, no. at no. just for laughs no i don't even yeah. remember being at just for laughs what dude, year dude 2000 and when did i have my existential breakthrough 2008 18 it was oh, oh wait. okay no no no, most- no no it was 2019 yep. because i was actually right about to record the first episode of this podcast uh and i did it with a comic there the first time i did it was with big j okerson in a hotel room at the hyatt mm-hmm. um but that was when i was like having my midlife crisis i was 38 and and you and i were out front of ron bennington's uh unmasked mm-hmm. and i started talking to you about you know, like very Eckhart Tolle, you know, being present, how precious life is. And and it was funny because I think you were like in a hurry to get somewhere. And then I opened up about this stuff and you and I talked for like 15 minutes out front of there about very, very deep Dharma-y deity fucking life, how beautiful, how precious it is. It affected me. Do you remember it at, at all? No, 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 none of it rings a bell. None of it rings a bell. One of the biggest conversations of my life. I was like, dude, Michael Ian Black. I mean, this guy is but, dialed in. But, you know, because I'm so present in the moment, these things flow through me. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like it just flows in, it flows out. I don't have, I don't, I don't remember what I was doing 10 minutes ago, you know, because I'm so present, Josh. I'm so present. I know what you were doing. You were doing a snack podcast. Oh, thank you for reminding me. I was doing a <laughs> snack podcast 10 minutes ago. That's right. Tell us about that before we get into the podcast. Tell us what do you got going on in your career? What's uh, so little? So, so very little, little, really? Go well, I have a podcast out. with uh, my, uh, my my good friend Tom Cavanaugh called Mike and Tom Eat Snacks uh, Mates, as it's better known. We've been doing it for years and years, but we took a we took a four year break, and we've just recently relaunched it. So uh, we're back at it. Good. How many snacks are you eating? Like you know, in a normal day, are you are you a are you just full on snacks, or do you do real meals? Oh no, I do real <laughs> meals. But then um, after my wife goes to bed, I just uh, pig out on whatever's in the cabinets and what's secret the, secret eat. What what's what's in the cabinets? I'll tell you what's right in mine. now. You tell me what's in yours? Right now, there's um, some tortilla chips. Nice. There's some popcorn. There's frosted nice. flakes, which I. That's been my go-to lately. Yes. Uh, I feel like there's something else, some other chip. that. Oh, oh, there's Dot's Homestyle Pretzels, which is a new discovery. Tremendous pretzel. Just a tremendous pretzel if you haven't tried it. Uh, pretzels uh, are, are incredible. I like, pe- I like pretzels with peanut butter in them. That's okay. that's my go-to. Yeah, pretzels with peanut butter. Delicious. I'm more of a I'm more of a sweet guy at the end of the night because I don't mm-hmm. get high until I'm done with all my shows. So around like one, two in the morning, I get home. I do a big handful of Swedish fish. I go down. I walk the dog. Then I come up. Then I attack the chocolate yeah. and I go Kit Kat bites. 
Rolos. Mm-hmm. Then, like you said, popcorn. I do a bag of uh, Skinny Pop. I put like mm-hmm. three handfuls of that in a bowl. Then I take a big whole handful of cold raisinets, throw that in, and then I sit on the couch and watch Pardon the Interruption, and then I fall asleep as soon as I'm done. Great. I mean, that's a great ritual. Uh, fantastic. This is really cool for us, man, because I'm not only, I'm a huge fan of, of everything that you've done. Um, uh, you know, all the shit you've done with David and, and Michael is, is incredible. Uh, you know, we've had a multiple, uh, Adam, how many people from the state have we had on now? I'm not sure. I've thought that up. He's new. I feel like all I'm right. the third or fourth, right? I, I think you're about the fourth. Uh, we've had David, we've had Carrie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I maybe think that's it. Both of them, horrible episodes they have no idea what they're talking about uh especially david which the greatest joke that david did because i'd never met him before mike was he he put we go down the zoom and on on the wall there was a picture a printed out picture of me and and i was like what are you what is that me up there he's like yeah i always have that up there for creative inspiration i just this is really a big deal for me yeah. Um, so, and what's is cool about you doing Black Flag is there's something about the comedy and the work that you guys do that is extremely punk rock, uh, because it's so it's so different than everything else other people were doing at the times when those things were released. And still to this day, there is nothing like you know uh, the products that you've put out. So, so tell me like like how has punk rock influenced you and like how did that start? Did it started like an early age or or what? Uh, I got into punk probably my sophomore year of high school, maybe junior year of high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and up until that point, I'd pretty much just been listening to kind of whatever was on the radio, kind of top 40 popular music. What's but, that? So wait, what's, what's that? So like, I, how old that, you know? So that, I, that, that would have been the mid eighties. So like Duran Duran, Michael nice. Jackson, yeah. Madonna, all of that shit. Um, which I still like, um, but at the but at the time I would have denied that I liked it. Hmm. Um, and then, oddly, there was no place to really find discover music. Like you couldn't. There was no there was no way to do that. Like there was a record store at the mall, but they didn't really have anything interesting. Um, but I had a subscription to Rolling Stone magazine, and then once in a while, Rolling Stone would kind of review something that I didn't understand i didn't know what it was and the first time i remember that happening was they reviewed a philip a philip glass album mm-hmm. and i went out and got that and i was like i don't know what this is but i don't like it and then they right. reviewed husker du's candy apple gray which was nice. their major label release and i was like this sounds interesting and i got it and then that album opens with basically just static uh, and I had it on cassette. So I thought the cassette was broken. Yeah. Uh, it opens with like just this sound. And then, and then it goes into. Um, and I kept listening to that and realizing that it took me a while <laughs> to understand that they were doing that on purpose. Yeah. And, and it was sort of when I, when that dawned on me, that you could just like sort of make noise on purpose and then do this do this sort of really fast, hard sound and sort of screaming vocals. And that kind of opened my mind a little bit. So this is your first introduction in a sense to punk rock. You haven't heard Sex Pistols before Nothing. that. You've never Nothing. heard Minor Threat. Wow. Nothing. Wow. And then within like, I don't know, six months, I was starting a punk band with my high school friends. 
What were you playing? What were you on? You're on. Let me, let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. Fuck. You're not base. Are you bait? No, you come all right, on. I am sorry. Jesus. What am I, a schnook? Bass. I mean, come I mean, listen, on. Duff McKagan's a great bass player. The dude, He's Kurt Novoselic. I, you know, why? Novoselic. If there's a schnook in Nirvana, it's Novoselic. Do you remember when he threw the bass up and it nailed him in the yeah. head? Like, I mean, that's a schnook move if I ever saw one. Dave Grohl's not doing that because he's on the drums. He was on the drums. Um, sorry, let me guess. Your, your vocals. Your vocals. vocals. Of course, of course you vocals. are. Yeah, you're a star. That's why. I know. Yeah. It. I, I, I would have played an instrument. I didn't know how to play an instrument, so I was vocals. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's, so that's when I really sort of got deeper into my punk rock education. And that's when I was listening to college radio late at night and going to the Princeton Record Exchange uh, in New Jersey and digging through all their shit and just looking for weird shit. And that's where I found Black Flag for the first time was uh, almost certainly at the Princeton Record Exchange. And Black Flag, in my memory is the first band whose album covers kind of scared me. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I was like, this shit is scary. Yeah. <laughs> there's like a nun and a knife hiding. There's like, a, there's like some dude hiding down a leg. There's just like, and it was very stark and sort of two dimensional. Um, the logo scared me just the four vertical four, Yeah. I was like, this shit is too much for me. I hadn't even heard it. I was like, this shit's too much. <laughs> just, just, just like a black, just black stripes. You're like, there's something. I feel very, uh, very triggered by this. I, feel, I don't know what it is. I they might be anti-Semitic. Yeah, there's. Who know. knows? Who knows what it is? You, that's the thing about that logo is that if you don't, if you just see that and you see that on people's arms, you're like, I mean, that. I mean, this is this is a Nazi. Is this the? Is this oh, no, the, this the, guy yeah. did time. If you see yeah. that, you're like, oh no, this guy, this guy spent some time upstate. Yeah. You're like, it's it's very intimidating <laughs> without context. The name <laughs> itself is scary. It's a brilliant name for a band. Black flag. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's the one of the most iconic, you know. So simple. Find mm -hmm. out also, Adam, find out who created that. I think it was Henry Rollins that might have done that. Maybe I'm wrong. I have no fucking idea. I know it wasn't. I'm almost sure it wasn't because when he joined the band, my understanding is he got it tattooed on him. Uh, so the, the logo, I think, was already existing by the time he joined. Okay. All right. It's, 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 I, I think, cause I was going to ask you this later. Is there a more iconic symbol no. than those four stripes? Like, like who, what, what's Van what's Halen is the only other like sort of band logo that I think of. Like when I think of like just classic logos, but black flag is so much better. Oh my God. So yeah. much better. It's, you know, it, it, it's incredible. You know, what's one of the lamest, the red hot chili foot peppers, like little fucking, like, I don't know what it is. Pull that thing up. I hate that. Their COVID-19 uh, <laughs> logo. Yeah, dude. It's a, <laughs> their cock ring, spiked it's cock a, ring logo. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fidget spinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a great logo, but not you know, a great whatever. logo. They can try their best. I mean, they're, they're millionaires. No, they're millionaires. They're fine. But yeah, so you see that you're intimidated by it. So, so then, yeah, look at that. I just hate that. Yeah, it's not great. I'm it's with you. Great. It's, it's like it's like a European ambulance symbol, <laughs> or American. I don't know. It's an ambulance. So uh, I so so continue. Yeah. So you're saying you see that, but you're intimidated by it. You're scared. So then, what? How did you suddenly? Because Husker do we did Husker do? Uh, I'm gonna fuck. I might fuck the name because we haven't done this. It was like almost three years ago we did the record. Uh, newfound, not newfound glory. Uh, uh, land speed record. 
No, no, no. It was it was the one right after Zen Diaries. New Day Rising. New, New Day, Day Rising. Rising. And that was my first like real deep dive mm-hmm. into Husker Du. The only time I had heard about them prior to that, besides like in passing, was you know in Joe Dirt when he's like Husker Do's, Husker mm-hmm. Don'ts. And so when I, I had no idea it was gonna be punk rock, and nor did I even have any idea that Minnesota was this huge place in mm-hmm. music putting out a band like Husker Du. And then you dive into it and you're like, wow, this band, this band fucking rules. Mm-hmm. But 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 that's totally different than anything that was on this record. Do you know what I mean? Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, de- I mean, I hear a lot of overlap. I hear a lot of similarities. Fucking my dogs are fucking the mailman's here and the dogs are going nuts. <laughs> it's all course. good, dude. We, I got Lekka uh, in the back. I thought yeah, it was my neighbors. Fucking- I have these like, I have these like college students that, that, uh, I live in Gramercy and I have these college students that play like, what is that? Uh, not beer pong. It's like mm-hmm. a collaboration of beer pong and uh, what's the one where you throw the sandbag into the little hole? Cornhole. Corn- yeah, yeah, yeah. They do like a variation. It's actually quite good. If I was friends with them, I'd, I think maybe I'm just mad that they don't invite me over. Go on over. Ask if you can play. I'm sure they'd let you. I'm 42, bro. I think they're like 23. And then I'm like, <laughs> hey, guys, my voice. Like, how you doing? I've been hearing you guys play cornhole beer pong. <laughs> Mind if I join in? Oh, what are you listening to? The new Olivia Rodrigo? Have you guys heard Husker Do? All right. You, got, you don't like it? Okay, I'm going to go back to my domicile. You guys like Maiden? I got <laughs> yeah, some Maiden. Yeah, you guys want to hear some Judas Priest? Now, he's a homosexual, but he is one of the good ones, all right? Um, I hear a lot of the, I mean, when, in, particularly in their older stuff, the drums relate, the guitars relate but like to me who's could do is kind of like thinking man's punk and i never thought of black flag as like thinking man's punk even though i think it is you know it, it is yeah but i never thought of it that way mm-hmm. and i don't know that who's could do is particularly like thinking man's punk either it's all to me it's all sort of similar um but yeah punk punk music for the most part is if you if you go back to the beginning of the roots of it where it started and then listen to every different variation, even if it's a band like Wire, which is more post-punk. And I no, actually, I don't even know if they're post-punk. I think they are kind of came out 79. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, the Minutemen, they all they all kind of have this same, whether it's the tempo, it's the 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 lack of, I mean, you know, because you would never call somebody in a punk band like, oh my God, one of the most brilliant guitarists of all time. But there's there's a passion, there's an energy, and there is very like uh, like almost going against the norm. That is the one like like thing that runs through every punk record that I've ever listened to. Yeah, right. And, and that's kind of the point of it. Yeah. Um, but ironically, not ironically, Greg Jinn, who's the guitarist in Black Flag, was named by Rolling Stone magazine one of the top 100 guitarists of all time. He's number really? 99. Yeah, number 99. I like that. I'll put them in there. I'll put them in there. All right. So, so then, so what's your first uh, foray into Black Flag? What album you uh, buying? Uh, I don't think I bought an album first, but I think our band was learning. I think we played TV Party, which is on Damage, which, which is on this record. Yeah. Um, and so that was the first one that I really like spent any time with. Um, and I liked it. I liked that it could be dumb and funny um and it it made sense in in in, the, in it made it, it sort of made sense to a high schooler like oh yeah we're gonna make fun of this like dumb shit that people do at night because they have nothing else to do with their lives they go and they 
watch TV and have a couple of brews. Ha ha yeah. ha. Like I liked that, you know, it, that kind of, that kind of spoke to me. It made sense. Um, and I don't, I don't even know that I knew it was black flag when we were learning the song. I just knew it was TV party. Yeah. It was cool. It's a cool song. It's a, definitely a cool song. It's actually it's, probably, it's probably the funniest song on this record. I think it might be the only funny song that I can think of that's on the record. <laughs> I mean, I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, so what, so then what draws you to a band like black flag then? Like what, like, how are you on this album on my podcast? Like what, like, how did this, how well, did at like, a certain so, point, yeah, like, tell me. you go from, you go from Husker do to the sex pistols to then you then you're then you me is at princeton record exchange just looking for shit that seems nuts so i pick up the dead kennedys i pick up circle jerks um and once you're sort of in that world of like hardcore punk rock like you can't avoid (laughs) black flag like at some point you're gonna listen to black flag yeah um you just have to because they're you know, I don't know if they're the first, but they're certainly among the first. And I think, you know, they're sort of known as the godfathers of hardcore punk music because they were kind of blazing this trail that these other bands were more or less following. So, you know, you have to you just you just sort of have to know who Black Flag is and and get to know it. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. All right, well, here, let's let's find out about Black Flag, then, because because I, I really don't know much about them. I honestly, for a long time, thought they were from D.C., because I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, so... So like, I can tell t- you the D.C. connection, because there is one. Well, with Ian... Right. right. So so this is my cool little uh, story about about Henry Rollins. Um, right before I moved to Los Angeles. Cool. Well, first of all, I should say I've seen Fugagi. Fugagi. I've seen Fugagi. Uh, it's a Korean barbecue. Um, no, I've seen <laughs> Fugazi um, uh, live a few times. I used to play a bunch of free shows in the D.C. area. Um, never was like a huge, huge fan, but I had friends in high school that were really into hardcore and they were like the cool kids that I used to, that I was in kind of like a mock band with, um, for a moment, but they were the guys that I would go to concerts with. Like we saw like orange nine millimeter and corn, which I've talked about at the old nine thirty club. And, and so there was this, this cool thing. And I, and people in DC would wear the minor threat t-shirts. They would wear the bad brains t-shirts and, So, but I never got into punk. It wasn't, I was more of a, I was more, you know, hair metal and then into grunge and, and punk 
never made its way into uh, the music that I would listen to. It's it's aggressive. It's 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 definitely a vibe that like this record was hard for me to listen to uh, in the current state that I'm in because I'm very happy. I I'm like I'm walking around. I just moved to New York uh, and I'm and I'm you know I'm listening to a lot of jazz right now. A lot of like laid back Oscar Peterson trio. And then it's like, okay, well let's, let's put on this record as I get on the subway. And it's just like, and then the guys are dancing in the fucking, you know, on top and inside the subway train. And you're like, just, it's just, it's hard. But that being said, uh, you know, there's something that I always thought was very cool about it. Even though I might not have dug it, I would go to these stores in Georgetown where you could just see all the records that you had just mentioned, the cool t-shirts, the Manic Panic, the Bomber Jackets, the Doc Martens, everything about it I thought was really cool. It was just a music that I just, like I said, I just never connected to. And then cut to 2000 and I guess it was 2007, um, July of 2007, I'm getting ready to move to Los Angeles. Uh, and I go to, uh, Adam, I want you to look it up cause I might fuck it up. I don't want to say Fort minor, but there's this field in Washington, DC and, and Ian from Fugazi and minor threat is putting on uh, a free show. And I have a buddy, uh, John Moyer, who I used to go to a lot of concerts with. And he's like, dude, come with me. We'll go check out the Simpsons exhibit. Cause they were turning seven 11s into different, like uh, quickie marts around America. And I was like, well, I'd love to see that. And he's like, yeah, it's right by where that show is. So we'll check that out. And we go there and we're there early and helping Ian set up. Cause there's no real roadies is Henry Rollins. Cool. And, and I'm, I'm just like, I go up to him and I talk to him for a few minutes. Is it? Yeah. I think it was Fort DuPont. I have a T I have a t-shirt for it, Fort DuPont park. And, and I get to talk to him and, and, and just like the, the calmest guy, one of the nicest dudes, um, you know, I don't, I, I I'm not going to, you know, I don't talk to him about punk music, but we just talk about the DC area and, and, and he couldn't have been cooler. And, and so then, I mean, cut to, really me starting this podcast. Well, that's not true. I went to go see Bad Brains. Bad Brains was the first real punk band that I really started getting into because there was something I really, really loved about band in DC. Um, and then I went to see them live at the now gone House of Blues on Sunset Boulevard. And uh, and then I started this podcast in 2019. And, you know, realistically, like I said, Husker Du, uh, that was one of the first real punk albums I've really did a deep, deep dive in. And um, who else did we do? We've done, you know, Minutemen, who I loved Minutemen. Uh, and now this, what else have we done? We've, uh, Adam, who else have we done? We've done, not, I'm, I going want through, to say, I'm going through the list right now to see who, what punk bands we've done. Who do we do with, not the specials. Um, fuck, who is that band? God damn, it doesn't make a difference. It, what I'm saying is, as I listen to this now more, uh, I appreciate it more, but there's something about Black Flag that is just raw, it is scarier, it is, it is almost more intellectual than a lot of the other music that, that we've, we've done so far. Yeah, I think they are. You know, looking back on it now again, they are more intellectual than I remember them being, maybe because my introduction to them was TV party. Um, but yeah, they're talking about real shit. They're talking about depression. They're talking about feeling fucked up. They're talking about, you know, rising up, um, you know, all the sort of classic pillars 
of yeah. punk rock music. And it is more aggressive. It is more minor sounding. It doesn't have, there's really nothing kind of poppy in it. Um, like Minutemen, I feel like, yeah, there's some pop stuff in there. And who's yeah. there's some like pop stuff in there. And certainly like the Sex Pistols is almost, I feel like a pop band. That's a in pop a weird band, way. Yeah. Um, and, and Black Flag isn't doing any of that. You know, they're just like, they're just like muddy and aggressive and sort of dirty sounding. And then you've got Henry Rollins and you sort of feel like listening to it, that he might pop through the speaker and punch you in the face at any given moment. <laughs> yeah. You know, he might just be like, fuck you. Ow, Henry, you know, <laughs> and he is a front man. I found like was like the first front man that I found kind of scary and intimidating. Yes. He just, he just seemed like he wanted to fight and fuck people up. And, and if there was a mosh pit, it sort of seemed like, well, he was just going to get right in there and throw some elbows. Yeah. Um, and that sort of simultaneously repelled me and attracted me. You know, I sort of, I, I liked it and I was afraid of it. The only, the next band that did that for me was NWA where yeah. I was like, Oh shit, these guys like me business <laughs> you know? I around. I felt that way about black flag too. You know, and I don't know how much of it was artifice. I don't know how much of it was a construct, but it felt organic. And I think to a large degree it was. I mean, they were pretty young. I mean, I think Henry Rollins was like 20 when he joined the band. And the other guys were probably right around that age, maybe a year or two older. I don't know. But what's what's interesting to me about Black Flag is because because I feel like most people associate Henry Rollins so strongly with that band is that he wasn't the original singer. There was another guy that in the, conceptually the band comes from the guitarist, Greg Jinn. Um, and there's a whole like weird backstory about the, how they got the record distributed. Um, Greg Jinn, I think it's Jinn. I've never heard his name pronounced out loud. G-I-N-N. Could be Ginn. Could Is be Ginn. It, it could I be. No, I don't know. I have no idea. I, I, yeah. I'm going with you. I like Jinn just because it sounds a little harder. It does. Uh, he, when he was 12 years old, started a company that sold like electronics, like electronic components through the mail called like standard something tuner, whatever. And, and like was making like money doing this. So he was like creating catalogs and sending them out and distributing it and had this little business going. When Black Flag wanted to, to release their album, nobody wanted them. They sort of had this deal with this band called like Unicorn who was like associated with MCA and MCA wouldn't release the band. So Greg turned his company into a record label, SST Records. And that's where SST comes from. And SST ended up releasing uh, a whole bunch of bands, including Minutemen. And their big, their big act, I think, was Black Flag and Who's Who originally was on SST Records. Um, and, you know, and to go, go with what you're saying, I think that's one of the things that I found very cool about, about Minor Threat, about Fugazi, is, is they're basically doing what, what people, comics are doing now with Patreon, is they're going yeah. direct to the consumer. So it's like, all right, you don't want to put our album out. I'm going to create Discord records, and then I'm going to sell my own shit, take my, my own money, pay everybody fairly, uh, and, and you guys can go fuck off. I think that's, that's punk rock. That is like what we're doing now in comedy is the exact same shit. And I think Black Flag was the first band to do that. I, I'm, I might be wrong about that, but I feel like they were kind of the DIY pioneers that then Discord followed and, and other, band, other labels Adam, followed. Look that up. Look that up. So here, let's, here's my little, here's my little uh, smorgasbord of what I got. So originally they're called Panic. They're formed in 1976 in Hermosa Beach. 
uh, Greg Jinn formed a band with the band's first vocalist, Keith Morris, who later went on to form the Circle Jerks. Uh, Chuck Dukowski eventually joined on bass. Brian Midgall was the yeah, initial Dukowski, drummer. such a schnook name. Dukowski. Such a schnook, dude. <laughs> also could have been a great writer. Chuck Dukowski, he's a drunk. He's hanging out at a bar right now in the Lower East Side. This guy, he's fucking over. They ra- he was the drummer was later placed by Colombian drummer Robo. Uh, there was another band called Panic, so they changed their name to Black Flag. The name was suggested by uh, Jin's brother artist Raymond Pettibone, who also designed the bo- the band's iconic logo. So big okay. ups to, to Raymond, um, which is the stylized black flag represented as four black bars. Pettibone stated, "If a white flag means surrender, a black flag represents anarchy." Right. I love that. And I it's perfect. And, and you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Perfect. That yeah. makes perfect sense to me. It oh, just it, looks it, anarchic. hundred percent, hundred percent. So they had one release with Morris in 78 called the nervous breakdown EP before he left the band and was replaced with the fan of the band, Ron Reyes, who he was a vocalist on jealous again, EP, not to be confused with the black crows jealous again, uh, before he quit mid performance. Oh, I love this before he quit mid performance because of escalating violence in the crowd. I mean, that's that's punk rock is they dude. I mean, we were talking about like PIL and all these other bands like people like, dude, the Go-Go's, the Go-Go's would get spit on. And, <laughs> and it's like and this dude can't take it. What I think is interesting about that is that that was probably a moment. I mean, it was a moment before sort of punk rock was that it was a moment where it was finding itself was trying to figure out what it was and when you think about like the kids who were punks versus like the kids who were metalheads the punks tended to be i think a little more pacifistic they were like more intellectual they were like reading fucking marks you know they were just and and it felt like the metalheads were the kids who like wanted to kick ass and drink beer and fuck shit up um but and Henry Rollins may be one of the main drivers of this, that punk rock movement did have all those people in it, but it also had this super aggressive macho side that you would see at these shows. And I can understand how somebody who joined a punk rock band because he was like, fuck you, we want to do things our way, would show up and start singing into the audience and people are slam dancing. It's like, this isn't what I I wanted. I didn't want want people to get broken noses and concussions at the show. Fuck it, I'm out. And then Henry Rollins is like, yeah, more of that, please. You know, you can sort of see how that might have happened. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You said how he, he sounds like he's going to, like, jump through your speaker and punch you in the face. Mm-hmm. Like, he's literally singing in a fighting stance. Oh, yeah. The way that he gets down, he, like, he's, like, he's all he's all quads. And so he's, like, no <laughs> shoes on. So he can just jujitsu you. Like, he... But, and- like, think about, think about, like, what 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 was going on in like the punk scene elsewhere at that time and compare it so like look at the ramones like the ramones you don't think of as like of like a violent band right not at all yeah you don't think of like the talking heads who are like sort of thought of as like a punk band um or like television you know these are like sort of arty new york um you know, we're going to, we're, we're going to put on weird clothes and do our weird music at CBGB kind of bands. And then fucking hardcore erupts in DC and LA and the whole vibe of the changes. So like in 77, 78, like all of that was still kind of being formed and nobody really knew what was what. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, DC is a fucking rough place. That's a mm-hmm. rough town. So minor threat works. Fugazi yeah. works. Bad brains works. That that level of violence. I mean, this is a this is a town where you have a really disproportionate, uh, you know, uh, community from the wealthy and the poor. You know, the middle class. I don't know in the seventies uh, what it was like, but if it's like how I grew up, I mean, you had I grew up in Montgomery County, where it's like you know, right outside of DC, and you have the richest of the rich and the poorest of the poor, li- literally in the same county. And then Los Angeles, as everybody knows, Los Angeles is a hard town. Hermosa, on the other hand. You know, it's fucking where the comedy and magic club is. I mean, they don't even let you cuss on stage, so they can go fuck themselves. But yeah, it's like, and you're a beach community, but still there's there's violence, there's racism, there's this, there's that. Um, and I mean, you know, Henry uh, is the epitome of that. He is, the, he is that very well, like well-read dude that also is built like, you know, he's built like Joe Rogan. Like, yeah, dude, look at this. Mm-hmm. I mean- and this is you know what I love about the first thing I noticed in this picture is just how racially diverse. There's like there's like three black guys in there. This mm-hmm. isn't like just oh you know because people think of punk rock they're like oh this is like skinheads and just white dudes like this was everybody. We actually had a comic I don't know if you know him. His name's Chappelle Lacey. He's a, 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 a black comic, but also he used to be in uh, he used to do like the the. Uh, cheerleading in in high school and college and he's he's a big dude and like punk rock changed his life because for the mm. first time he could he could hear the lyrics that really represented him and in, in the and the pain of what he was going through and because this isn't just like those bands that were out at the time that you mentioned madonna material girl in a material world and michael jackson you know please be mine girl this is like real shit it's the same it's the same shit that I say lyrically punk rock is whereas it's the same as NWA where they're talking about the real things that are happening in the world and the violence that people are dealing with. It's the same as the outlaw country people mm-hmm. that were writing about what it was like growing up, you know, poor and, and, and fighting people. And, and it's like, it's, I think that's really ultimately what attracts a lot of these, these outsiders to this music is that finally there is somebody that's speaking to them. Yeah. And that's all I wanted out of music by that time in my life. All I wanted was somebody who was expressing the kind of anxiety and anger and, you know, the, the, the sense of being a misfit that I felt. And so punk rock, you know, came to me at a time where I really needed it. Were you, you know? were you, a, were you a total outsider? Like, you know, I mean, you doesn't every kid? teenager like, think of themselves as an outsider? Every teenager thinks they're a misfit. Every teenager thinks they're an outcast. I was kind of a theater kid. I was, you know, I was the kid who got pushed into lockers, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I wasn't like terribly bullied, but like, you know, it was like, you know, I wasn't. You were one of the cool guys. You were. You, I was you know, ducky. I, I wanted to be ducky and pretty and pink, you know, like yeah. that's that's sort of where I was living. Yeah. Like that kind of kid. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Mwah. 
Yes, welcome everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! So when did you start finding people like, you know, besides your group in high school, but it's like, it's over, that's the whole thing about high school is that we all think that that's the world. And I mean, one, I couldn't imagine like how horrible it feels now to have social media, but yeah, so there's, uh, so it's like you get out of like high school. Like, so where did you find, was it, was it in punk rock or was it in comedy that you started finding that like connection with people that were like you? Well, it started with the band. I mean, it started with that that band finding a few dudes in my high school who like wanted to do this thing, who could like get into this music. um, And we could like create a little something out of that. But I definitely felt like I carried that spirit with me when I went to college and helped start this comedy group, which in a lot of ways you alluded to this before had that same spirit like there was something super aggressive about my sketch group the state um and that was purposeful i mean it was it it we absolutely thought of ourselves as a band you know kind of like a punk band more than a comedy troupe um we had it, it was it was the same it was a punk attitude that we brought to it and we very deliberately um, tried to infuse our material with the same kind of rhythm and aggression that we were listening to in the music. So for example, our sketches would be, you know, two to three minutes as opposed to like nine minutes, which is what we were seeing on like SNL. Yeah. Um, A lot of times it was as much about the energy of the sketch as it was about the actual jokes in the sketch. You know, it was, it was just about like screaming into a microphone, like Henry Rollins was doing, you know? Yeah. And um, there was, it was, it was intellectual in that way, even though the material was super dumb. I mean, we were doing TV party, but there was, there was a lot of thought behind it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's like you're meeting, you know, everybody that, that, that was a part of it. I mean, they're so cool now, but you could see like, like David going through the same experience that you went through in high school uh, and, and Robert and Tom and Joe, the only one, maybe, maybe Ken, maybe Ken was a cool guy. Like he's kind of, I think Ken, Ken Marino, I think was a cool guy in high school. Yeah. Yeah. I think he probably yeah. Was. So like when you found them, did you guys, did you guys all connect over punk rock or is there like, no, 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 like the, no, not at all. We connected over comedy, but as the group found its voice and, you know, we were simultaneously hanging out all the time and, and, you know, doing everything together, like that ethos um, was absolutely the same ethos as I had in my band. And when we started talking about 
like what we were doing, the idea of being a band. And I think, I don't think we ever called, I don't think the word like punk band ever sort of came up, but it was like the idea of being like an indie band, like this scrappy, like do it yourself kind of band. Um, that's, that's kind of what we thought of ourselves as. How long from when you guys first got together and started writing sketches together, did you guys actually uh, get the television show? A few uh, years? Four years. Four years. Yeah. Three and, or four and years. So three or four years. So for three or four years, you're basically, I mean, are you doing this at like Groundlings? Are you doing this at no, like- No, we couldn't. You, there was no place to do it. That, that's, that was the other like punk aspect of it. Like there was no- infrastructure in new york city to support sketch i don't know uh, there was no ucb there was no anything like there were there were comedy clubs and that was it so if we, we wanted to do a show like we had to find the space create a stage like figure all of that shit out um there was no other way to do it yeah so it's the same you know it's it, it, it it's the same as a band putting on a show in somebody's basement or something that's what yeah, we're and doing you, and you're putting the you're you're making the fucking flyers yeah. and also also the state it sounds like a punk rock band too yeah. so i mean i can imagine it just having the same kind of look like of like some of those old hardcore flyers you're, you're just getting the venue you're making your own merch you know because after a while you're like man people want they really like this shit. Like people are like, oh, we, we weren't, we weren't smart enough to sell merch, but yeah, <laughs> no. but yeah, they, we were fly flyering. We were spray painting, you know, our shit on the sidewalks. Like we were, you know, we were doing all that shit. No, that's beautiful. I love that because there's, there's something to be said about, you know, like the state, the, the Mr. Show guys, who did it? We just have on for Mr. Show. We, oh, we had, uh, we did De La Soul, Brian Posehn. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if there could have been, it's almost, it's perfect, which is basically, you know, kind of what Mr. Show was. Cause, cause three feet and rising was mm -hmm. just this stream of consciousness record, which was very much like, like uh, the Mr. Mm -hmm. Show episodes. And with, and with the state, it, it's, it's everything about your, that those first few seasons were so different than everything it's like though even this like you guys used one of your bad reviews as like promo for can you remind I, do you remember do you know what i'm talking about i think david had so mentioned this when our show came out we just got not all bad reviews all no i don't think there was one good, <laughs> good one. review horrible <laughs> and we were obviously like bummed because we thought we were doing good shit. Yeah. And what really sort of turned the corner for us, I think in terms of both our six, well, like both our success on the network and our own confidence in ourselves was we made a, a commercial that just used um, portions of all the bad reviews set to the BGs. I started a joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're just like, we're just like in slow motion walking through like a field, like just morose kicking at the ground, feeling sorry for ourselves. <laughs> um, and then there's just, you know, this show should be, you know, flushed down the toilet. The, the executives who green light this show should be given drug tests, you know, just quote after quote, after quote, after quote. And then the last thing is uh, it says more miserable crap. And then it says it, it with a, with a date for when our new season premieres. And That's I feel like rock. that was sort of the moment where it just sort of solidified like for ourselves, like who we were. And it was totally punk rock. Like that it's, feel that, that sense of like, fuck you, like we'll take what you gave us and we'll throw it back in your face. hundred percent. And th that was great. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. I mean, that's, that's what makes 
this cool. That's what makes the state cool is the fact that you're just like, we're going to do our thing. People dig it. And there's people that dig it and they're not, you know, they're not the, like, I want to say the majority, but it's just like the people that get it fucking get it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's what's beautiful about it. All right. Where did I leave off with the, all right. So we got petty bone. Cause I want to go right here. So he leaves the band vocalist jealous again. Uh, he's replaced by another fan, Des Cadena. Uh, did, he uh, did well as a vocalist, but with no experience singing nor vocal training combined with an intense touring schedule, he blew out his voice and decided to only play guitar and said, then here we go. DC native Henry Rollins, AKA Henry Garfield fronted the band state of alert. And the two bands had formed a relationship and at an impromptu show at a seven in New York city, Rollins had asked the band to perform clocked in the band offered to let him sing. Since vocalist Des was switching to guitar, the band then invited Rollins to audition impressed by his stage demeanor. Like we talked about, they asked him to become their permanent vocalist. He acted as a roadie for the remainder of the tour while learning black flag songs during sound checks and encore. Rollins came into the group with one recording credit to his name with his prior band uh, who recorded No Policy on EP released earlier that year. And there were few opportunities for punk rock bands to perform in the Southern California area. Los Angeles Club The Mask was the center of the LA punk scene, but did not often admit bands from outside LA proper. Black Flag organized their own gigs. Here we go. Performing at picnics, house parties, and schools. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> it's, like, it's, like it's your up. kids. It's like, it's like, <laughs> Juliana, it's your kid Sierra. Two, three, four. I love it. That's what you got to do. That's what you guys did. It's just like, we, nobody's going to give us a fucking chance. Dude, it's the same shit. I tell people that are disillusioned with their career and the norm in either LA or New York, same thing that happened with me, man, which is like, I went the old school route. I did new faces and nothing was happening. So I said, okay, how can I have fun? What do I love? Let me combine comedy and music. Let me start this show. And then the next thing you know, I'm getting everything that I want because you have to do it yourself. If you don't, nobody's going to do it for you. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think in their case, in our case, it, was, it also felt like an imperative. It also kind of felt like, well, we don't have a choice. Like, this is just the shit we have to do. Like, yeah, not like not like this is just, uh, you know, like when we started, it was like we're a college comedy club, but we never treated it that way. Yeah, like it was it was always like, no, this is like what we do. Like, this is just this is everything. And when I was in a, in a punk band in high school, it sort of felt the same way. It was like, you know, just a shitty high school punk band, but like we treated it deadly seriously. And, you know, that's something I've always liked about the bands that I've always liked, which is you just get the feeling like this is their lives. Like this is life or death for them. They'll bleed for this shit. Yeah. And I always liked that. That always attracted to me, attracted me about punk. It's like, they're not, you know, Black Flag wasn't trying to write a hit. They didn't have that illusion, you know, no. they were just like, we're, we just have shit to say and we're going to say it. And that's fucking great. And we're going to tour the country in a fucking shitty van and we're going to eat fucking shitty food and sleep on somebody's floor. And that's going to be our lives and it's going to be fucking cool. And it yeah. is. Yeah, it is. It, it, there's something cool about when you're 20. 
it's not so cool yeah. when you're 40. <laughs> yeah, when you're 40, <laughs> fuck off, dude. Just give up at this point. No, at that point, you're like, I want the hit. There's some guys right now that are like working at like a Best Buy that are in a band. They're like, we got a clutch gig tonight. I know we got to sell these fucking flat screens, but we better <laughs> dial the fuck in, man. We're, we're going to drive five hours. <laughs> five we're hours. This fucking gig for 30 minutes. <laughs> we're getting paid in chicken tenders, but they're good. They make them there, okay? <laughs> um, no, I think you listen, it's, and to anybody listening, if, if you got an idea and there's something you want to do, don't wait on anybody to help you just fucking do it. And then the people will come once you, once you started doing it. And that's yeah. what sucks about it is that you have to, but you have to start it. You have to start it. And, and I think too many people are just like, like I have a buddy that's got this great comedy show idea and all he, and he does it and the show does well, but he's like, I want to sell it as a TV show. And I'm like, dude, you, and he's had production company after production company either uh, get an agree, a shopping deal and then they drop it or it just never gets passed. And I'm like, dude, just fucking make it. Mm-hmm. Just make it. Spend your own money on it. Make it. Put it out on you. You see it with people putting comedy specials now out on YouTube. It's like, yeah. just get it out there. Because if not, you're just wasting your time. And it's like, you can't wait. The industry has no fucking idea. Like the fact that you guys got the state on the air is pretty fucking impressive. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was, it was, it it was just a confluence of circumstances and we just got very lucky, you know, was there like one person that just like believed in it or what, what was it like? Cause it's just, you know, we all, no, 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 no. I mean like MTV. Yeah. At MTV. Um, kind of, yes, there were two Doug Herzog who was, you know, a young executive sort of heading up their original programming, which was new for them. And then the woman right under him, Eileen Katz, like they're the ones who went to bat for us. They're the ones who like stuck with us after that first season when it wasn't quite taking off. Yeah. They're the, they're, they're the ones who, who believed in us, you know, from, from the network point of view. When did you see it click? You said in the first season wasn't taking off. When did you see like the big change? Probably towards the end, probably towards the beginning of the, I would, I would say probably towards the beginning of the second season, um, I mean, things were starting to kind of move after the end of the first season. Yeah. Like, you know, you could just sort of sense like people were starting to pay a little attention. And then in the second and third seasons, like, you know, it really felt like we were we were building something. And then yeah. we fucked it all up. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> Wait, how did you fuck it all up? Well, we went to CBS. See, you know. MTV wasn't paying us anything. We were like, this is bullshit. Like we're making $400 a week, a guy. And it was like, this sucks. And then CBS was like, Hey, come do come over here. We're like, all right. Yeah. Idiots, fucking idiots. (laughs) But, but the truth is like, we were like a punk band. Like we couldn't have survived that much longer anyway. I mean, you know, we were, we were our own mosh pit. I mean, we were all elbows and knees, you know, we were like at each other, you know, not that we were fighting all the time, but just, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to deal with. There were 11 of us and we were just fucking scrappy and like all the same attributes that helped us fuel, help fuel our success were the same attributes that were like going to break us apart. You know, we were going to whirl apart at some point. So, you know, we had a nice little thing and then it fucking fell apart. But on that note, though, you step away for a few years. A few of you guys work with each other in different things. But oh, yeah, then we you were guys- working with each other throughout. Like there was never it was never like, fuck you. I never want to see you again. It was just like this shit kind of 
socks and let's, you know, and then, you know, the group sort of split off into little things and people started doing shit here and start and shit there. And then, you know, we all continued to work with each other. Like that never went away. Yeah. There was never, I, there was never, it was never like a personal thing where people were like mad at each other. And, and I, excuse me if I, for some reason it was because when I was on the air, I fucking loved it so much. It was, is you, David and, and Michael Showalter. What was the show? It was Stella. That, that I loved that fucking show so much and that was punk rock and then mm -hmm. wet hot american summer that's mm -hmm. punk rock because we talked to david about how that happened and it's just like it's it's just you know like we said it's like the people that get it are gonna fucking get it and look mm -hmm. where it's evolved into because it was something that was made and got almost shelved and then finally it starts catching this cult following and then becomes this huge thing where now you've had it you, you're on netflix i mean now that's what's so great about these you know you could, I don't ever want to use the word selling out because I love that Metallica thing when he's like, yeah, we sell out, sell out stadiums. And it's like, <laughs> but that's, that's what you do. You do your own shit. And then the industry comes calling to you and then the, all the money and everything that you want, everything that you guys have done, even Reno 911 with, with Thomas mm -hmm. and, and Carrie, I mean, it's, it's so different. It's so cool. And, and it's almost with the state and Stella and and wet hot, it's like it's like man, these are these are some things that are so special, and they speak to certain people. And those people, I mean, they're because they were with you. Those people that that watch the state, like they're 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 with you with whatever you do because you did something for them when nobody else was. And that's that's fucking beautiful, man. Yeah, and and uh, and that's what you know, those bands were for me, you know, that's yeah. what black flag was for me. That's what like minor threat was and Fugazi was and all those who's could do and all those bands, you know, that's what that shit was for me. It was like, that's what I needed when I needed it, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. that will always, that will always be meaningful to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, that's that, that, that stuff, it feels formative. It feels like, you know, when people say you know, I am who I am because of whatever, that's what that means. It's like, I needed something at a certain point in my life and you're the one who gave it to me. Yeah. And that's, um, and, and Henry Rollins is a weird messenger. Like, Henry, like, <laughs> like yeah. he's like a weird messenger for me in particular, but it's like, all right, dude, thanks. You know, I appreciate it. I mean, but he's, he's not much of a singer. Like that's the, oh, no. you know, he's, he's not much of a singer, but the passion that mm -hmm. he's putting into it. I mean, that shows people there's, you know, how many bands, I mean, I know we have a fact coming up later, but like Kurt Cobain said that this is his top 50 records of all time, or maybe even 30. It's like this influenced people and showed people that just like the state showed people that they can do it. Oh, I have these weird ideas, or I don't know how to play guitar very well, but I can do like some power chords. Mm -hmm. And, and it, and it shows people that you don't, you know, have to be Jimmy Page to play guitar. As long as you, it's me and my drummer talk about this all the time. It's like, you can be the most technically sound musician in the world, but if you don't have the feel, it's, it's not, it's never going to work. The feel mm -hmm. is more important than being able to play, you know, an actual, like, you know, like Spanish guitar or guitar solos. As long as you can go up there on stage and you just put everything into it, people are drawn to that. And I think that, you know, and so not for if this, you're giving, not if you're giving a flamenco concert, of course, if you're doing that, you better know Spanish guitar. Okay. All right. Jaco Pastorius <laughs> or, or whoever. 
Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. All right, so here, a little doodad about this record. Uh, So this is the debut album. Uh, with Henry Rollins' uh, version of the band. He only joined weeks before recording it. It came out December 5th, 1981, and was recorded prior, uh, recorded prior, the October prior in West Hollywood. The band lived in another part of the building that housed the Unicorn Studios. Um, Adam, find me, do me a favor, find out where Unicorn Studios was in uh, West Hollywood. I'm just curious what it is now. Um, with the Rollins- opening track, I will say, is one of the great songs. Yes, it's in my opinion, I think it's one of the best songs on the record. And you said something about how this not being like pop. There's a couple tracks on here that have moments. What was the one that really like damage two mm-hmm. uh, is is kind of there's moments in it that are are kind of poppy. Yeah. I know that's poppy for punk, poppy for poppy. punk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which sounds like a grandpa's grandpa's that support uh, punk rock music. <laughs> you know, poppy's for punk. <laughs> But when you compare it to other stuff that was going on, like there's very little effort in terms of like melody, you know, but there's there's like rhythmic shit, you know, like, uh, you know, and gimme, 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 gimme. Yeah. Give me some more like that. You know, that's catchy, you know, TV party, catchy, rise against catchy. Like there's some catchy shit on there, but it's not melodic in any way. Not at all. Not at all. But you know, and that, that's that's what's so cool about punk music is that like it's fucking like you said like like Sex Pistols. There's it's it's pop, dude. It is yeah. pop. All right, where's seven oh five seven five oh one Santa Monica Boulevard? Can you pull the map up for me? Because I, I would love to see what this is now. It, it's it's probably because you know where they the <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but it's probably the, a target. Uh, yeah, well the the fucking um, the the studio that the Doors recorded L.A. Woman is now a Shake Shack. Sure. Why not? It's just, it's like, oh, it's just heartbreaking. <laughs> Burgers are phenomenal, but you know, <laughs> you just, all right, where is it? Where is that? Hold on. Get rid of the escape. Hold on. What is that? Don't, oh wait, is that Santa Monica? Bull- oh, I know where that is. The bees and nails. That's where I get my nails done. <laughs> I think that's right by my, can you, can you go around like and swoop uh, just a little bit? Hmm. Oh, Gardner. Oh yeah. 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 The, uh, is that the Astro burger? Yeah. I know exactly where that is. Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah, dude. I'll be there on Sunday, dude. I'm going to stop by and pay homage. All right, get out of that. Give me back to my thing. Go um, to pedicure I'm, and pay homage. I'm going I'm to get my nails done with little little black flag stripes mm-hmm. on my nails. Don't think I won't do it. I'm doing that's it. Actually, 
pretty cool idea, actually. That, dude, I'm, then I'm getting it done. I'm getting it done. <laughs> I'm tagging you in it on my Instagram <laughs> stories. Get ready, dude. So, uh, Gin once stated that uh, after Rollins joined, uh, we couldn't do songs with a sense of humor anymore. We got into the very serious way of poet thing. Mm. So they started, yeah, you could tell. I didn't listen. Mm-hmm. I don't know their previous stuff. Uh, and then drummer Robo was wearing bracelets on his left wrist that rattled when he played. The rattling, whenever he hit the snare drum, especially when he hit on the downbeats, became part of their sound. Wow. Yeah, I, I can't hear that. Neither can I. Just, I. I don't hear that at all. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> is there anything out of this uh, that is important? Let me see. The earlier four-piece versions are more focused and much cleaner sounding. Damage rec- uh, recording uh, are more akin to a live recording with little stereo separation of guitars and somewhat muddy. Uh, when asked about the low fidelity production, Spot has said they wanted it to sound that way. However, the artistic content expression on the album showed the band pushing punk or hardcore music to a new level with deeply personal and intensely emotional lyrics. As such, Damaged is generally regarded as Black Flag's most focused recording. Do you agree with that? Like, do you think out of- I, I don't mean, have how- an opinion about it. Okay. I don't have an opinion. To me, Good. Black Flag, like that Henry Rollins sort of era Black Flag all has a pretty similar vibe from album They all to sound album. the same? Okay. Um, the same, I'm- I don't know, but like, I don't know, like more focused. I don't know. There's from what I know about hardcore music, uh, you know, this is uh, definitely uh, a a different sound than what uh, Bad Brains was doing. Definitely what than what uh, Minor Threat was doing, Mm -hmm. but it still has all that same intensity. And like you mentioned, uh, Rise Above. I mean, immediately you notice Henry Rollins is just. I mean, this like short, sharp, like bark. Yeah. of a voice uh and it's i think it's it's you know it's a much more potent instrument than anything else on the uh, you know it's it's it, you you think of black flag and you think about this record it's like henry is what's sticking out every single song it's like he is angry you can feel that uh when he's saying it I'm trying to think like if there's a better punk anthem than rise again i can't think of one like it's just that's just kind of it just kind of encapsulates the movement. Yeah. Adam, do you think of, while he's thinking about that, think, can you pull up like, uh, maybe there's a list of like uh, greatest punk songs of all time. I don't know if uh, if somebody, there's a list for everything. So I'm assuming. Um, no, you're right. You're right. And what a way to open the record with. Oh yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Are you For the world to be introduced to Henry Rollins, I think that's a perfect introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, Six Pack's another song I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it tackles the same subject matter as Minor Threat's Bottled Violence, uh, though with the emphasis of being a drunk loser rather than beating the crap out of somebody else. This is this is the thing uh, that I really liked about this record, and I think I really, really like about Black Flag. Um, there's, they make fun of, of stupid people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? This is like Black Flag loves making fun of stupidity. Uh, so let me ask you, are dullards something that you guys like? To, like, Because I feel like in, in, in comedy, we, we have to make fun of the dumbs. But what are your thoughts on stupid people? I have given this a little bit of thought. Because I always think about in comedy, I think about like Carlin and how he always positioned himself as the guy who does exactly that, just making fun of idiots, you know? Yeah. 
Um, but then thinking to myself, like that, as much as I love Carlin, there's always something that rang a little false about that to me, if only because we're all fucking idiots, you know, and we all make bad decisions and say stupid things and trip over ourselves. And I never in comedy, I don't like elevating myself and my intellect above sort of other people. Yeah. Even though only not because other people aren't guilty of all this shit, but just because I know I am too. Like I'm, I'm as much a hypocrite as anybody else. And I don't like to pretend that I'm not. Um, and I'm trying to think like how I think about black flag in those terms. There's definitely like in a lot of punk rock. And I think black flag included, there is a kind of moral posturing. There is a kind of like, um, you know, we're sort of leading you to, to a better way in a better day. And we're going to rise up, you know, we're going to rise against, but ultimately most of it is just empty promises. Most of it is just sort of words. And, yeah, you know, it's so it, it doesn't, it never, it never translates into anything, <laughs> but you know, when you're 19, 20, 21, maybe you just need to hear that. Maybe you need, you know, maybe you need to have every generation needs to have that hope. Um, I certainly think you do. And we were joking about Nova Selleck from Nirvana being a schnook. I don't really think that. Um, Wait, but like you don't? He, <laughs> but he, he ended I up. Was, I thought we were connecting over that. <laughs> that was our thing, dude. But like he ended up running for office and you're sort of like, all right, like you're an outsider now sort of trying to become an insider and, and make change and do something positive. Like I can get behind that. I can get behind people who like, um, become activists and do shit. And I think Henry Rollins in his way is that, you know, I think he seems, he seems like the guy that he was to me. He seems yeah. true to the vision that I thought of Henry Rollins as, and, and I think he's, he's, he's maintained a lot of cred credibility. Um, whereas like Greg Jinn, the guitarist ended up and look, I don't, I don't know what's true, what's not true, but ended up like getting like investigated for like child abuse and like endangering his kids and like all this shit. And like, sort I think sort of became a sort of like drunken mess. Yeah. Um, you know, but you know, but that's, that's, I mean, maybe that's, that's the other side of rock and roll life too. It's like you try something and then, you know, we all end up being a mess in one way or another. Yeah. Some, some hold it together better. Yeah. Some let it destroy them, you know? Um, one thing about Henry, though, that that you see, you know, probably you didn't see so much when he's doing Black Flag, but it's like he's like we said, he's an intellectual, like he's yep. a poet. He's he's putting on he's you know, uh, he's written books like the guy is very, he started, very he started like a publishing imprint. Yeah. You know, he's a, yeah, he's a thinker, you know. Yeah, he's he's a thinker. And then um I mean, talking about like religion and stuff like because I understand that you're an atheist, right? Um, Henry Rollins wrote a piece in LA Weekly explaining why he isn't an atheist, but also cops to not having any religious or spiritual beliefs. And that attitude seems pretty on the mark for people who are heavy into punk anti-establishment philosophy. Did you start forming your atheist perspective out of cultural consumption as a youth like punk rock, or did it come from somewhere else? Well, I was raised without religion, so I guess I was sort of brought up more or less in a atheist slash agnostic household. Now, I don't even know that I feel comfortable calling myself an atheist, um, not because I, I think it, I, 
I, I don't think it's as simple as that. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's, I don't think it's as simple as saying I believe in God or I don't believe in God. I think, I think there's a lot of questions and, and not a lot of very good answers. And if you, you know, atheism in its atheism in a way proclaims an answer, you know, mm-hmm. uh, even if it's the negation, even if it's, an, even if its answer is a negation of an answer, yeah, yeah. it still kind of has an answer. I think the world is more complex than that. And I, I, I've, I've come to believe that there's, you know, there, there, there's that, there's that quote about quantum mechanics. Uh, basically, if you think, you know, what quantum mechanics is, you are basically revealing that you don't know anything about quantum mechanics or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm starting to feel that way about the universe as a whole. Yeah. Um, we, we, which is that it just seems like every time we answer a question, it just pops 10,000 more questions up. Yeah. And that's indicative to me. There's a hubris that goes into saying, I don't think there's a higher consciousness. Um, I, I'm starting to think there might be. And whatever you call that, you can call it that. I mean, this is like what I've been trying to figure out through mushroom use and LSD use. Has it worked? So, <sighs> sometimes. Sometimes I feel like, because it's like when you start really just thinking about existence and like, okay, well, there was the Big Bang. All right, well, then what was before that? And then like, how did that Big Bang cause? Well, it was energy. It was like, but but what... So you have to take it back to somewhere and it just keeps going and going and going. Um, All I know, which isn't anything, is that there is an energy and a balance in the world. And once you accept that for every positive reaction, there's a negative reaction and for every and good things are going to happen to bad people and bad things are going to happen to good people. And there is no real you know, uh, concrete evidence in, in, and how this all started and just to be able to enjoy it. Cause that's it. That's the main thing is that I think like, you know, I remember I got into a conversation with a woman about in, in Arizona of all places. She probably uh, doesn't remember that conversation. She, no, she doesn't, but she got <laughs> mad at me. She got, <laughs> she doesn't remember. She might, because I had just performed. I just headlined uh, at a comedy club and she was like complimenting me. And we started somehow talking about religion and I, and I, and I said something, well, yeah, I don't want to, I'm not a very religious person. And then she looked at me, she goes, Oh, are you one of those LA people that just believes in an energy? And I go, well, kind of. And she said, well, I really cherish my, my Christianity and my religious beliefs. And I'm like, totally as you should, because, the, and, and I said it and I, I I'm going to say it more uh, honest here, which is just like, look, we're all scared of dying. We're all scared of what's gonna happen after this. We have no idea what's gonna happen. So certain things are created to give us an idea that we're all gonna be okay. And if that's what makes you happy and makes you push on and, and enjoy this short time that we have on this earth, good for you. It's like, all you get is these, you know, if you're lucky 60 to 80 years, maybe a hundred if you're really lucky and you, and you eat wheatgrass and shit like that but for the most part it's just there is no idea we nobody knows what happens nobody knows how it started so just accept that and just enjoy and once you do that i feel like you're going to be in a good place you know yeah i mean i don't know i don't know i i i kind of agree i kind of agree because i think well i do agree but i think the word enjoy 
maybe has a deeper resonance than the kind of like, you know, take a pill, have a good time. I think there's, I think enjoying maybe encompasses something deeper and broader than that. And and I'm not saying you were suggesting like just, you know, hedonistic it up you know, go skinny dipping and get your dick sucked. Like, I don't think that's what you were saying. But, but, <laughs> oh, don't no, threaten that, me with a no, good that time. Too, Come that on, too. Don't get me wrong. I'll take a dip and a sip. Come on, <laughs> baby. Like, you're, you're speaking my language, All you have to do is ask. I'll suck your dick. <laughs> All right. I will totally suck your dick. Yeah. David sucked my dick. You suck <laughs> Carrie. Didn't suck my dick, but I'm getting everybody on the state to suck. Did you this. suck her dick? I sucked her dick. Yeah, right, I mean, listened to PJ Harvey. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right, man. No, I'm not saying like go out and rob banks and just do whatever the fuck you want. But in a sense, do whatever the fuck you want. That's well, it. You know? Yeah. yeah. In a sense. Yeah. Adam in says, sense, be, do whatever the fuck you want. Be good to each other. And what's the last part? I got to click on that. Be good to each other. Adam, why don't you say it, dude? You never talk. Here's my philosophy. Be good to each other. Be good to nature and animals. Try your best to not be a dick when possible and hope for the best because you can only control so much. Boom. Yeah. Boom. Oh, here we go. Rolling Stone Magazine said in their number eight punk. So this is the number eight punk album of all time. According to them, yes. According to them. And seven is Minutemen, Double Nickels on the Dime. That's one of my, and Wire's Pink Flag, which ruled. That was really cool, uh, Michael, because we had, uh, for, for we did Minutemen and Wire back to back. And from when we did Minutemen, we had the lead singer of, uh, of uh, Soul Asylum on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the next week for doing Wire Pink Flag, we actually had Mike Watt from Minutemen. Oh, cool. So it was like a double episode. Oh, dude, look at this, dude. And then Gang of Four Entertainment, which I fucking loved. Uh, rest in peace, Andy Gill. The Stooges Funhouse, Sex Pistols, Nevermind the Bullocks, number two, The Clash, self-titled, and number one, The Ramones. Uh, random facts. All right, so this is uh, the last time we're going to talk about Black Flag on the podcast. In the new 2020 list, this plummets to number one. This plummets 147 spots to number 478. Uh, it did rank number 25 on the top 100 albums of all time. Not of all time, of the 1980s. Um, yeah, the new list is bunk. Uh, Kurt Cobain listed this as his top 50 albums of all time. All right, some nice album reviews. Uh, reviewing for the Village Voice in '82, uh, Robert Christgau gave this a positive uh, review. Although the B side drags more painfully than I bet was intended, this is powerful stuff. Uh, Greg Jinn is the greatest noise guitarist since Johnny Thunders from the New York Dolls. And new vocalist Henry Rollins can snarl along any tortured contour they serve up. And Rise Above, Six Pack, and the uproarious TV party prove they can write songs as well as Nash fragments. Fragments. Uh, yeah. And then any bad ones? Uh, what do we got? Is there a good bad one? Which one? The MCA? Yeah, the, yeah that one's pretty solid. Uh, consisting of mostly undigested lumps of bile spat out with a caustic uh, <laughs> veminence. Uh, the word uncompromising might well have been designed with LA punk combo Black Flag in mind. There's an almost autistic single-mindedness about the album's monochromatic howl consisting of short, sharp shock songs taken at a frenzied pace the strip back garage sounds is topped by the splenetic baying of vocalist Henry Rollins. Who wrote that? Oh, that, that, I mean, I mean sure. on my point of view, I, I that mean, could yeah. absolutely be a positive I mean, Hey man, I, I, I would listen to it. 
because of that, especially that wording, that fucking wording was hard <laughs> to get out. Short, sharp, shock songs. Fuck. That's like, a, that's like, I'm gonna start doing that before auditions. Short, short sharp, 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 shock songs. Short, <laughs> shock, shock songs. You can't, you can't no, do it. it's hard it. to say. Short, sharp. Hard to say. Short, right. sharp, shock. All right, rapid questions and you're out of here, all right? Yeah. Uh, favorite song on the record? Uh, Rise Above. Nice. Least favorite song on the record? Uh, I'd have to look at the album tracks. I do agree that like towards the end, you're like, all right, that's kind of enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't love um, like what I see. Uh, it's on the first side. Yeah. Uh, I don't love no more. It's on the second side. Interestingly, they're both written by Dukowski. That schnook. That fucking schnook. Yeah, dude. <laughs> that bass player, dude. That bass play. That BPE bass player energy. Um, I you know I don't hate any of it. It's just that I do I do think I do think they could have cut a few songs from this album. Yes. You know it's still a short album. I mean the whole thing's thirty five minutes, but. It could it could easily be thirty minutes and it would be great. Hundred percent. Uh, what song on this record? And I ask everybody this: Would you fuck to? Gimme, gimme, gimme. <laughs> nice, dude. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Give some more. I need some more. And then final question: uh, Why do you think? Well, it's this is kind of a loaded question. Like, do you think this deserves to be on the five hundred greatest albums list of all time? And why do you think people? Uh, in this younger generation, um, not millennials. What's after that? Um, Z's, the Zoomers. Z, the, yeah. What? Why do you think they should listen to this? Uh, I do think it deserves to be there. Not so much because of what it's doing musically, although I think it is doing something new and interesting musically for the time. As well, I mean, yes, musically, because it's announcing something. It's announcing something new in that moment in time. It's announcing uh, um, not only just a sound, but an ethos. It's sort of saying, fuck you. We're going to do this shit all ourselves outside of your system. And we're not going to care what you think about it. Particularly, we're just going to do our shit because we have to do this shit. Yeah. Um, there wasn't a lot of that going on. I mean, it was starting to bubble up. I mean, Black Flag was not the first punk band, but I feel like they announced the American version of this movement in a way that hadn't been done before. And so it's, it's worth hearing for that. I couldn't agree more. I think if you're going to listen to any punk rock, the Green Days, the the Newfound Glories, the the bands that are doing it now, you have to go back to the roots. So uh, for this being an important record, I can see exactly why it's on the list. Uh, my review could have cut a few tracks, but all in all, I'm going to give it 3.8 fleeces out of five. What do you give it, Michael? How many fleeces? What's a fleece? That's just what I use to review because I'm the king of fleece. Because one day I, when I had, I inherited money when I was like 18 years old, uh -huh. and uh, I gave half to my parents. I was only 40 grand, but with the other 20,000, I just blew it. And on why did one they take day, your money? Why did they take it? 
because they it was more they needed it man we were yeah. like we, you oh, know it was fine. it was i didn't want to give it to them i i tried to fight them on giving it but they were like we want to buy the house back and i was like here's 20 grand and then with the other <laughs> i wish you were with me back then you could have like helped like defend myself and keeping my money but then with the then like one day i went to the mall and i bought two thousand dollars worth of fleeces and so <laughs> and so <Fucking> <laughs> well you know i was cold um and uh, and I and so the, uh, the fans call me the king of fleece. So so how many fleeces you giving this out of five? Uh, I'm right there with you. I, I I'll bump it up to an even four, even four, four fleeces. You heard mm-hmm. it here, people. Uh, Michael, promote away, please. Anything you got coming up? Anything you want us to check out? Nah, my life is a disaster. I mean, <laughs> if you want to see me, I'm performing in your town at some point because I got nothing else to do. Nice, nice. Ah, uh, dude, this is great. Thank you, buddy. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Michael Ian Black. Follow him on all social media at Michael Ian Black. Uh, Get his book, A Better Man, A Mostly Serious Letter to My Son. Check out his website for all things Michael, michaelianblack.org. He's got an orgy. Most people don't have orgies. All right, for listener shout-out this week, I want to give a shout-out to Magnificent Kevin. Dude, you rule. You've been with me since the jump. KG. Magnificent Kevin on Instagram. Follow him. Give him love. Tell him uh, tell him you love him. Now, we just listened to Black Flag from 1981 for new music pick this week. Guess what we got? Listener submitted, and it's my good homie supreme, Alistair McLeod. It's his Calgary, Canada-based band, Less Miserable, which they produce the kind of post-emo pop-punk tunes that are perfect for drinking cheap beer and shouting along in a sweaty basement. Hugely inspired by the one and only Black Flag. Two, three, four, go, 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 oi, oi. You're listening to the song Debts, Doubts, Discouragement, and you can find links to their music on our website, the500podcast.com. Thank you, Alistair, for sending your song in. If you are in a band and you listen to this podcast, or if you don't listen to this podcast but your friend does, if you got a buddy that's in a band and you want to help launch their careers, send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you put the artist and album that influenced you in the subject line. Next week, it's Tommy Waits week as we go deep into his 1974 record, The Heart of Saturday Night. Ooh, it's our third one. Do your homework, everybody. My home is.
car keys before my apartment keys I think it's my conscience telling me subconsciously to leave the 500 keeping it fleecy on the 500 The 500 Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talk to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. What's up, everyone? This is Jay Reason, and I want to let you all know that Diablo Zen Podcast is now part of the Sound Talent Media family. Listen in as me and the one and only Danny Diablo, a.k.a. Lord Ezak, interview artists from the hardcore punk, metal, hip-hop scenes, and beyond. We have conversations with guests like actor Peter Green, DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill, L.A. street photographer Estevan Oriol, Jimmy G from New York City's legendary Murphy's Law, and pro wrestler Vampiro, to name a few. If you're a fan of good discussions, lots of laughs, tune in and join the fun. Next Chapter Podcasts.